Before we get started today, I want to ask you a quick question. Are you looking to find more freedom and flexibility in your life with type 1 diabetes? Are you looking to increase your confidence and decrease your stress? If so, I want to invite you to join the Diabetes Psychologist membership. When you join, you'll get weekly sessions with me where we'll have master classes, diabetes and mental health question and answer sessions, and hot seat coaching sessions. You'll also get monthly behavioral challenges, a comprehensive resource library, and a private Facebook community. To learn more, go to thediabetespsychologist.com forward slash membership. That's thediabetespsychologist.com forward slash membership. And I can't wait for you to become a part of the Diabetes Psychologist membership community. And now, on to this episode of the Diabetes Psychologist podcast. I've been thinking about and reflecting back on my process of writing the book, the habits that I formed, the lessons that I learned. And as I was thinking about these things, I realized that a lot of these concepts can also be applied to our lives with type 1 diabetes, improving our diabetes management, and also improving our mental health with type 1 diabetes. So in this episode, I want to talk about the five lessons that I learned writing this book and give you some tips about how you can use these lessons in your life with type 1 diabetes to improve your diabetes management. Welcome to the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Heyman, and I invite you to join us as we talk candidly about the emotional challenges of living with type 1 diabetes. We'll give you actionable strategies to help you face these challenges head on, reduce your stress, and most importantly, live a full life without letting diabetes get in the way. Hey there, welcome to the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Heyman. If you haven't heard yet, I want to tell you, I wrote a book. My book, Diabetes Sucks and You Can Handle It, is coming out on April 19th, and I can't wait to share it with you. On this episode of the podcast, I want to talk about my process for writing the book and share with you some lessons that I learned writing the book that can be applied to your life with type 1 diabetes. So before we get started, I want to tell you about my story of writing the book. I've been trying to write a book for many years now. It's been in my head, and I've been thinking about it and trying to write. and never really got anywhere. I had been playing around with lots of ideas, but nothing was sticking. I even tried writing a book several years ago, but I really didn't have a plan about what I wanted to write or where I wanted to go. So after about 15,000 words, I read it, and I realized it didn't make any sense. But last year... A couple of really important, but actually fairly minor things happened that really changed my course. The first thing that happened last April or May is a patient came to my office to see me. And he said to me, diabetes sucks today. And my immediate response to him was, you're right, it does. But you can handle it. And then I corrected myself. And I said, not but, and you can handle it. And that's when I realized what the title of my book would be, and the direction I wanted to take it. Yes, diabetes does suck. And even though it sucks, you can handle it. It was at that moment that I had a clear direction and plan for my book. And I was able to start conceptualizing it and thinking about the message that I wanted to send. If someone took one thing away from the book, what did I want that to be? And it was exactly that. Diabetes sucks, and you can handle it. Not but 
but and. Around that same time, someone else I knew who knew I wanted to write a book connected me with a book writing coach. After connecting with this coach, I was able to have a process to structure and write my book. And I also got the accountability that I needed to see this book to the finish line. I've been thinking about and reflecting back on my process of writing the book, the habits that I formed, the lessons that I learned. And as I was thinking about these things, I realized that a lot of these concepts can also be applied to our lives with type 1 diabetes, improving our diabetes management, and also improving our mental health with type 1 diabetes. So in this episode, I want to talk about the five lessons that I learned writing this book and give you some tips about how you can use these lessons in your life with type 1 diabetes to improve your diabetes management. Lesson number one, consistency is key. When I first started writing, I told myself I'm going to spend one hour a day writing my book. But what I didn't do was decide when that one hour would be. I said, I'll get to it later. And what ended up happening was every day at the end of the day, I would be so tired and I would say, I have to spend this hour. And sometimes I would do it, but many times I wouldn't. I put it off. I said, no, I'll do it tomorrow. And as I'm sure you know, writing a book is a big task, and you have to put in the effort. And what I found was that once I was able to become consistent, things got a lot easier. So here's what I did. Every morning at 5.30, I got up. Before my family got up, and I went outside to my backyard. This was the summertime, by the way. And I sat in my backyard and spent an hour alone writing my book in silence. I listened to some music. I looked at my outline and I wrote, whether I felt like it or not, every single day besides Sunday. What I found by doing that was that the consistency of sitting down every day and spending that hour at a specific time was extremely helpful. It didn't matter whether I wanted to or not. It didn't matter whether I felt like I had something brilliant to say or not. I just sat and I wrote. I didn't think about it. I just wrote. I had an outline that I followed, and by following that outline, I was able to be consistent, both in terms of the time of day that I wrote my book, the amount of time that I spent, and the consistency of doing it every single day. Without that consistency, I never would have finished. I would have put it off till tomorrow. I would have found excuses. But committing to it and maintaining that consistency was critical for me. And by following that process and having that consistency, after about 90 days, it was done. I had a first draft of my book. I had 200 pages written, and it felt like a great accomplishment. I didn't see progress every day. Sometimes I didn't feel like I was making much progress, but I was able to look at my word count and see it go up, and my page count and see it go up. And I was able to know that if I was stay consistent, that number would keep on rising, And eventually, my book would be finished. And it was. But what I realized is that my behavior mattered a whole lot more than my feelings did. What did that mean? There were certainly some days when I did not want to write. I wanted to stay in bed. But I didn't. I got up and I did it. It didn't matter whether I felt I was doing a good job or not. What mattered was that I did it. And that I actually accomplished that hour, hour and a half of writing every single day. The same thing is true for diabetes. Sometimes it does not feel like we're making progress when we put in the work. But by being consistent, whatever that means for you, 
taking insulin, checking your blood sugar, changing your pump site. By being consistent, you will make progress. But if you push it off to tomorrow, you won't make progress. And then you'll wonder why nothing's changed, why you haven't moved forward. And the reason is, is because you have not put in the work on a consistent basis. If you put in the work on a consistent basis, there's no way you won't see progress. You may not feel like you're making progress every single day, but you are. And when you get to the end, you will see how much progress you made only by looking backwards. Lesson number two, you can't do it alone. There is absolutely no way that I would have been able to write my book without my book writing coach. And this is for two specific reasons. One is she gave me the process and the structure that I needed to be successful. Before I started working with her, I was flailing. I didn't know how to write a book. I didn't know how to structure a book. I didn't know how to be consistent. I didn't know how to go about getting it done. And she gave me that structure. She guided me in that process of getting to the point where I was able to have a clear idea about what I wanted to write, how I was going to write it, and a plan to make it happen. But the other part of it was just as important for me, and that is the accountability. Knowing I have to answer to somebody every week about the progress that I'm making was important for me. I know myself, and I do really well with accountability, even though I fight against it all the time. But I know that if I say I'm going to write 5,000 words this week, well, I better have 5,000 words done at the end of the week when I meet with her again. I need that support. I need that structure. I need that accountability. I need the encouragement that she gave me. And I know with 100% certainty that there's no way that I could be publishing my book right now if it wasn't for all of those things. How true is that for you in your life with diabetes? We cannot do diabetes alone. First of all, Without the support of our healthcare team, we would have no idea how to do it, how much insulin to take, how to count carbs, how to go through the process of managing diabetes. In the end, managing diabetes is a process. It's a bunch of problems we have to solve on a regular basis. And without a structure and a process to do that, it's going to be impossible. And so having a team behind you who can help you is so important, but also accountability. We need accountability and support in that process as well. Because if we're given a plan and left to our own devices, most of us won't follow through. I certainly wouldn't. And most people that I know wouldn't either. They'd have a really hard time. By having someone or people you can be accountable to in your diabetes management and who can cheer you on is critical. That's why having friends and family support, support from other people with diabetes, and of course, support from your healthcare team is such a critical part of the process of managing diabetes. I'll say it again. You can't do diabetes alone. It's so difficult. And having that support, just like the support that I had writing my book, is going to set you up for success. One of the rules that my book coach gave me before I started writing was, I have to keep writing until the end of the book before I go back and reread anything. And for me, that was one of the toughest parts of writing the book. I would write and write and write and then wonder, is what I just wrote okay? What did it say? Does it make any sense? I had to stop myself from going back and reading. So I ended up writing about 45,000 words without rereading any one of them. But what did that do for me? It helped me not overthink the process. It helped me follow my plan and get it done without getting caught up in the minutiae 
and also getting caught up in my stories about how good or bad or silly or worthless my book was. And I was able to focus on writing and moving the book forward without overthinking it. And for me, that was really helpful. After I finished writing the first draft, I got to go back and reread it. And sure, there are plenty of things about the first draft that needed to be fixed. There was lots to massage and to make better, for sure. But I know that if I got caught up in analyzing and rewriting, I probably wouldn't be past the first chapter by now. So how does this apply to your diabetes management? You may be thinking to yourself, I have to overthink diabetes. There's too much on the line. And you're right, there's a lot on the line with diabetes. I get it. But at the same time, what are some ways that you can manage your diabetes without overthinking it? So first of all, when I wrote the book, every day I had a plan. I had an outline to follow to make sure I was staying on track. So I knew that there's no way for me to get off track with my writing. Because if I followed the outline, the book would make sense, at least in theory. The same thing is true for diabetes. So for example, if you're going to go on a hike, you want to make sure you're set up for success. What does that mean? It means making sure your blood sugar is in range or kind of in range before you start hiking. And if it's not, do some corrections. It's making sure you're prepared, having glucose available, having a friend with you, making sure you've taken all the precautions that you need to make sure you can stay safe. But then it means go. Go on the hike without thinking about it. You know, you want to make sure that you're on track. You want to make sure you're checking your blood sugar and you have access to glucose. Other than that, have confidence that you can do it. And if something goes wrong or you need to make corrections, you can do that in the moment. With diabetes, we get caught up in this analysis paralysis. We overthink things to the point where it makes it hard to be active in our lives. It makes it hard for us to do things that we want to do in our lives because we're thinking so much. So if you have a plan, you have a roadmap, follow the roadmap and know with confidence that if you have the roadmap, even if you veer off of it, you'll be able to get back on track very easily. But the bottom line is, if you want to overthink diabetes, overthink it in advance, but then take action and trust yourself without overthinking the process. Lesson number four, graciously accept feedback, but then decide how you want to move forward. In the process of writing my book, I sent it out to about 15 people with type 1 diabetes who I know, and I asked them for feedback. And let me tell you, for the most part, the feedback that I got was awesome. People gave me some really constructive ways to improve the book, and I really appreciate it. But at the same time, feedback can be a little bit scary. You're putting yourself out there. You're making yourself vulnerable. And you're allowing people to tell you how what you did could be better or what they didn't like about it. And that can be a little terrifying sometimes. I was so thankful for the feedback that I got. And most of it was feedback that I wanted to integrate into my book. And I did. But there was some feedback which was good, but it didn't resonate with me. It wasn't the message that I wanted to send. Or it didn't go in the direction that I wanted to go. And that was fine. What I was able to do was recognize what feedback I wanted to take. And take it graciously. But at the same time, recognize there may be feedback that I get which is not as helpful, or that I don't want to take and integrate into my book. I was still thankful for that feedback. It helped me think about my process for writing the book, it helped me think about what I really wanted in the book. But in the end, I was able to put that feedback aside and not use it. We get feedback about our diabetes all the time, from our doctors, from our family, from our friends, from others with diabetes, and sometimes from complete strangers. And sometimes that feedback is super helpful, but other times 
And actually, a lot of times, that feedback is not helpful at all. Should you eat that? Can you eat that? Oh, I made you a sugar-free chocolate cake, so you don't have to worry about your blood sugars. We have all heard this unhelpful feedback. But certainly, we don't want to be mean. We want to be open to feedback. But at the same time, we don't want to be rolled over by the feedback and feel like every time we get feedback, we have to take it. We want to be able to analyze the feedback we're getting about our blood sugars, about our behavior, about our mindset, and take what's valuable and leave what's not valuable aside. And to this day, I'm still getting feedback about my book. And I'm grateful for all of it. But I'm also able to differentiate between about the feedback that I really want to use and the feedback that I don't. I'm also getting feedback about my diabetes all the time from people who are very well-meaning, but who don't really know much about diabetes. At the same time, I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful that they care enough to be able to tell me how they think I should manage my diabetes and how they want me to be healthy. But at the same time, I want to be able to put that feedback aside. I know what's right for me and how I'm going to move forward is really my choice. And that's been a big lesson that I've learned in receiving feedback about my book. Lesson number five, there is always room for improvement. However, you have to ask yourself, how important is this improvement to me? So right now, I'm about two weeks out from launching my book. I'm in the very final stages of reviewing the printed copy of the book to make sure that all the formatting is right, all the words are right, and that it looks good. And right now, every time I look through the book, I find little things that I want to improve. But I've had to stop myself. I've had to ask myself, what's more important, having this book out there or having it be absolutely perfect? And to be honest with you, almost everything that I see that could be improved no one else would notice. But I could continue editing this book ad nauseum forever. But I've had to make the decision that right now it's more important for this book to get out there and for people to be able to use it and improve their lives with diabetes than for me to continue making improvements. The same thing is true for our diabetes. Of course, your A1C can always be a little bit lower. Of course, your time and range can always be a little bit higher. Of course, all of these improvements can be made, but at what cost? Of course, you want to be healthy, and of course, you want to make whatever improvements you can. But there comes a point where you have to ask yourself, is it worth it? Is becoming incrementally better with my blood sugars, with my A1C, with any of these measures, all that important? And how is my effort to improve these things impacting my quality of life? If you're worried about two or three blood sugar points, it's just not worth it. It's not worth it because of so much headspace and really impacts your ability to live the life that you want. And I know you don't want diabetes to be in your way. You want to be able to live life that you want. And sometimes working towards those really small improvements that will not make any difference in the end is a barrier to that. And so as you're managing your diabetes, you have to ask yourself, how important is this improvement for me? Of course, you want to acknowledge there's always room for improvement, of course. But at the same time, you want to ask yourself, at what cost? And how will it help me? How will continuing to work hard to improve my diabetes at this point help me? You may decide that the answer is, I have to keep on improving. Right now, my A1C is at 8. I need to get to 7. That's awesome. But when you're at 6.5 and you tell yourself to get to 6.4 or 6.3, you have to ask yourself, is the work worth it? And how is it getting in my way? What's the cost that I'm paying to be able to make these small improvements? And I think that you might see 
the answer is it's costing more than it's worth. That's certainly a lesson that I have learned in editing my book. Right now, I think my book is in really good shape, but I have the urge to keep on improving it. And I've had to let go and say, let's get it out there. And I can't wait for you to read it. So before we go today, I want to give you a quick recap of the five lessons that I've learned from writing my book that can be applied to your diabetes management. Lesson number one, consistency is key. Lesson number two, you can't do it alone. Lesson number three, don't overthink it. Lesson number four, graciously accept feedback, but then decide how you want to move forward with that feedback. And lesson number five is there's always room for improvement, but you have to ask yourself, how important is it to me that I improve and at what cost? And is the cost worth it? I really hope that these lessons were helpful for you as you're thinking about your diabetes management. And I hope I was able to give you a little bit of a behind the scenes look into my process for writing the book. I cannot wait for you to be able to read this book. It will be out on April the 19th of this year. And if you're listening to this episode after April 19th, 2022, you can find the book on Amazon or at my website, uh, www.thediabetespsychologist.com forward slash book. That does it for this episode of the Diabetes Psychologist podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, do me a favor and share it with a friend. That really helps me get the word out about this podcast and also helps other people with type 1 diabetes benefit from it. I always love hearing from my listeners, so please feel free to send me an email to mark at thediabetespsychologist.com or DM me on Instagram at thediabetespsychologist. And of course, be sure to tune in next Thursday for a brand new episode of the Diabetes Psychologist podcast. Remember, type 1 diabetes is not easy, but you can have an easier time with it. And I'll see you next week, same time, same place. Bye for now. Thanks so much for listening. For more resources, you can visit www.thediabetespsychologist.com and be sure to sign up for the email list for access to exclusive content. I'm Dr. Mark Heyman, and tune in next time for the latest episode of the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. Podcast.